Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the latest HR on the Offensive podcast. It's me, Chris Howard, back again for another one of our Thursday pods. Uh, Thank you very much for joining us, as always. It's great to have you with us, and hopefully you're going to enjoy this today, because this is a very topical, very fascinating conversation that I'm about to have with a few experts in the virtual room today. We're going to be talking AI. We are going to have a specific slant on it from a skills and a learning perspective. And there is so much to get through with this particular topic. And so what you don't need is for me waffling on with an intro for the next few minutes. So I'm going to pause that for a second and introduce my guest today. First of all, fellow Lacer, partner in crime for today, making his podcast debut. It's David Pacifico, who's from our exact team. David, how are you doing? Really well today. Great to see you all today. Looking yeah. forward to the conversation. This will be an interesting one. So let's bring our guests in. So first and foremost, I have Brian Murphy, who is the Senior Director of Employee Skilling at Microsoft. Brian, you're right. Yes, I am, Chris. David, good to be with you today. It's uh, great to have you with us. And we've also got Charles Jennings, who is Managing Director of Duntroon Consultants. How are you doing, Charles? You're right. I'm very well, thanks, Chris. Really great to be here. It's great to have you on. The amount of things that we need to get through in 30 minutes, I don't think we're going to succeed. And so what I think is going to end up happening is I'm going to get you both back for part two. But let's try and get through as much as we can. Before we do all of that, though, a few bits of intros, I think. So, Brian, do you just want to give us a minute or two as yourself and your background and all things Microsoft, I guess? Yeah, sure. I'm glad I'm going before Charles because you never want to go after Charles on intros and what you've been up to. So I'll get mine out of the way quick. So yeah, hi to all the, all the listeners to the pod. So I work for Microsoft. I've been here about a year. I lead our um, a lot of our career development and skills ecosystem work for our sale, global sales organization, about 60,000 colleagues globally. Before Microsoft, I worked for AstraZeneca, where I work closely with Mr. Pacifico here, was with AstraZeneca about three years and led learning for the organization. Prior to that, worked with Citibank, the US bank, and did a range of different uh, HR and leadership development learning roles for the institution. So yeah, that's me. Lovely. And Charles? I've been in the industry for about 40 years or so, working in learning and development, learning technologies, and with a particular focus on performance and how it's enabled, not just individual performance. I I think actually now the atomic unit in organizations is the team rather than the individual, but I'm also focused on organizational performance and how we can help organizations change, adapt, respond to changing conditions. And whether that's brought on by new technologies, changing economic climates, changing climate and changing expectations. So my focus is very much around helping learning and development and HR professionals, I guess, reframe what they do and how they do it in terms of enabling capability within their organizations. Lovely. Brilliant. Okay, right. So we need to get into this very meaty topic. I'm going to kick us off before David's, I'm sure, got a question or two, but I want to start us off nice and higher level. I want to talk specifically about AI 
generative AI, we've seen a lot of talk in the news about chat GPT and its impact. Lots of people, when it first came out, having lots of fun just going on and typing random things. I actually, uh, she won't thank me for saying this, but I plugged into, my first thing I plugged into chat GPT was how can I explain to my wife that she's monologuing again? She didn't like that, but there are obviously business related benefits as well as potential drawbacks. But what I want to do, and I'll start with you, Brian, if that's all right, is just get your top level view of what you've seen at the moment in the world of generative AI with stuff around chat GPT, but then also maybe we have kind of a learning and a skills lens on it and what the potential interesting elements of it might be. Okay, easy starter question then, right? I'll do it really briefly on, in general terms, then I'll double click into the learning aspect and then Charles can swoop in and give the real answer. So I suppose that, you know, working in Microsoft at the moment, we feel we're a little bit in the center of the storm in terms of generative AI. And we've been working with ChatGPT, sorry, with OpenAI, I should say, since 2019, actually. And there's been a lot of collaboration, particularly around this new era of AI, whereby Microsoft and OpenAI have been working together to develop supercomputers at a scale that we haven't really seen before. And then these models then are being used to inform the work that OpenAI are doing and that we're starting to see in applications like ChatGPT and indeed across the Microsoft product suite. I think the main shift that we're seeing around this is that AI is not new, right? AI has been around for quite some time and certainly Microsoft have been using AI for quite some time, but it has been up till now mostly around powered search and social media serving up recommendations for us or about us. And it's it's been a sort of an autopilot in a way, and that's been fine. But now we're moving into this co-pilot era. So Satya talks a lot about co-pilot. And in fact, a number of, of our product GPT collaborations have been around this co-pilot initiative. And this is really where it's becoming a key productivity tool and an opportunity to act as a co-pilot. So really putting the human in the driver's seat. And I'm sure we'll get into this in due course, but that for me is an you know a really interesting and important distinction between AI, the different phases, and we're into this new era. In terms of learning, maybe this is going to be a bit controversial. Charles and I have been working together for many years, and I think Charles, we're both advocates of workplace learning and really helping focus on truly how we learn, which is mostly through experience and through connections. And if we think about the work that many of our teams have been focusing on around that, I think that this new era of AI simply helps us continue to accelerate that focus. I'll give you some couple of examples, and then it would be great, Charles, for you to come in and let me know what sure. you think about this. But we have this always have this debate between learning and knowledge management, and is knowledge management part of learning? I happen to think it's their part at two ends of the same spectrum. And, you know, we've already been working for the last few years on this assumption that you know, what we learn and, and sort of telling people what they should know is increasingly a bit of a futile exercise because with the rate of change, people have to be less about stores of knowledge and much more around knowledge experts. And I think generative AI and concepts like chat, GPT, really give us an opportunity just to double down on that principle with a few caveats, which we can get into in terms of the more human advocacy. And this also comes the need for, for more responsibility, but we can get into that separately. And then the other one is around experiential learning. So this tool, say ChatGPT is a good example. There's nothing to say it couldn't be used for helping people practice their sales negotiation skills, where you could set up a scenario whereby ChatGPT was playing that role. And so people don't have to necessarily wait for the formal course or the formal approach to land. And so for those reasons, 
the the shifts that we've already been working on for a number of years around helping people move. I'm going to steal a Charles Jennings phrase now, learn at the speed of performance. I think the, this type of technology, this tool from a learning perspective, simply helps us do that better. And so I think there's going to be a lot of L&D folks saying, oh, you know, this is going to completely transform what we do. I think we should have been transforming what we do for quite some time. Charles has been at the, the forefront of that sort of pressure on, on us as professionals. And I think this new technology will simply accelerate that. But yeah, Charles, I don't know. Tell me what you think and what's your point of view on this one? Well, Brian, I absolutely agree with you. I think AI is not new. I ran the UK Centre for Network-Based Learning, which was set up in the 1980s. And at the same time, there was a Centre for Expert Systems and AI set up. It's nothing new. But I do think where we are at the moment is we've just left the launch pad ready because we've now got, you know, the technologies, we've got the wherewithal, we've got the number of people involved in this who are just really, really focusing and bringing it into reality. And I, I also agree with you, Brian, in that I think it's it's potential going to change a lot of what is done within traditional L&D. But then again, a lot of what's done within traditional L&D should have changed some, some time ago. Goodness, you know, we could spend a week talking about generative AI and chatbots and large language learning modules or whatever. And there's a huge interest in this. But I can see some pretty profound changes occurring across a whole range of industries, including HR and L&D. But just at the top of my head, the media industry absolutely already embraced the interactive nature of chatbots and so on. Industries such as law, where I wouldn't want to be a jobbing solicitor. We are still going to need solicitors, obviously, because of that need for human checks and for that expertise to be laid over the top of these technologies. But business generally, medicine, aged care, my colleagues in the Netherlands are working on uh, on apps based on ChatGPT to support aged care, for example. And, and that's a learning, that's a learning fu function, learning area. So I think for all of us, it's probably going to change what we do and actually, more importantly, how we do it. So I think that there are really significant opportunities. But on the other hand, as you say, Brian, we've got to be careful about this. We've got to be mindful about the limitations. We've got to be mindful about the fact that we do still need a human element in that. You're talking about the way people learn through experience and through networks and conversations and so on. And so we do need to actually have that expertise, that human expertise overseeing what these tools are done. And I'm sure I have absolutely no doubt over the next few years, we're going to see some absolute classic cases where human expertise is not overlaid on these. And then the issue about who is responsible, who holds accountability. Of course, you can't have a technology holding accountability. All those sorts of things will come out. And that feeds into our L&D and our HR processes as well. I think we'll get to a balanced point, but I think it's going to be a bit of a wild west for a while yet. So just building on a number of those really rich points, you talked about the role of traditional L&D being disrupted through things like AI and building on the stuff that's already in place. We actually uh, went on to ChatGPT to ask how is ChatGPT going to be uh, used in the world of learning and development going forward? And it came up with five things within a matter of seconds. I was keen to get your reflections on, on these five areas. And they talk about greater personalized learning. They talk about ability for on-demand learning or potentially learning in the flow of work, leveraging it for skills assessments for individuals and teams, applications around coaching and mentoring. And I think to your earlier point, Brian, a bit about knowledge management. So keen to get your thoughts on what ChatGPT thinks about itself. Well, actually, 
David, I did exactly the same thing, asked the same or a very similar question. And again, it came out, I asked it for actually 10 things. It came out with a number and enhanced personalized learning was at the top of the list that was produced for me, the same as you, but also things such as virtual assistants. I was interested in intelligent tutoring systems. And that sort of said to me that maybe the, the model that it's using is based on what we would call traditional learning. In fact, I've asked ChatGPT a number of times. I've asked it to write a 300, 500, 800 word article around learning in the workplace and it always starts with formal structured learning first mm -hmm. there's no concept in there that actually you can learn to do things by doing things and yet you know there's a lot of research not the least from Nobel Prize winning economists that say that actually most learning all learning occurs through activity in, in the workplace so I think that there will be lots of opportunities that will come out of that and I think particularly in the area for L&D in the area of performance support which still always sits down near the bottom of key things that people see as being important. And yet I see it as being, and I have been championing the use of performance support for years and years. And I think that these technologies are probably going to, when we get our, our arms around them, we're going to really, really add help us add value in that area. A couple of observations for me. So I, I'm actually quite impressed at how progressive generally its point of view is around some of these topics, probably be more than I thought it would be. And I do agree with you, Charles, that you do see the odd thing that comes in that you sort of look at and go, hmm, not sure about. Maybe that's grounded. Because assuming this is pulling from a lot of the content out there that is pre-existing, some of the things we're talking about is there's a change dynamic going on. And so if the general consensus around this subject is that there's still a sort of a legacy point of view around, you know, learning equals training or the fact that there's an educational sort of main component to it, which obviously we would challenge, then that still shows up a little bit too much. And so you always have to, I think, like any of these results that come out, you have to use your own ability to be able to discern what do you think is you want to take from this and what do you not want to take from it. Now, I would say is I am impressed with this sort of the quality of the output. But this subject, and I'm sure this is sort of representative of everything that comes out of these types of tools, require you to say, yeah, I'll take 80% of that. But there's a couple of things here which don't sit well with me. I either need to cross-reference that separately or, or most, more importantly, what is my network telling me? Because your network is generally ahead of the conventional point of view. We're working with, Charles, I know you, you know Harold Jorke, working with, with Harold at the moment around building your network ability, which is part of your human capability capabilities that will complement this type of technology so that, yes, you're getting great output from the tool, but you're also then sense-making, particularly around the what's coming around the corner via a carefully selected folks within your network who you know are pretty good at looking around the corner. Charles is definitely one of those people in my network. So, yeah, really interesting. I know we've gone a little bit off, off the question. It's a good example of this thing is adds huge value and it's never the answer in isolation. Yeah, and I'll actually, I'll, I'll get, I'll just, I'll bring you in just a second, Charles, but I'll give you another real world example. So I decided to write, because we got asked to speak to uh, the HR press about AI. How is it actually going to practically help to support HR professionals? So we came up with, this is my MD, Aaron, just had, we had a chat about what we thought. And then we decided, I mean, the piece didn't get used in the end because they decided not to go ahead with it. So we decided, well, let's do our own blog. And at the time of us recording right now, we haven't released it yet. It'll come out next week or we're recording. But when this podcast comes out, it'll have already been out. What I decided to do is plug in how can... AI or generative AI help HR professionals in the future. And because this is exactly to your point, Brian, what it gave me was half a dozen reasons or practical examples. And I read it and I thought, 
that's great, but I cannot copy and paste this into a blog because the people that I am talking to, HR directors, chief people officers are going to say, yeah, well, I could have worked that out myself. Thank you very much. So what I then had to do is use my own interventions, my own thoughts and say, okay, well, for performance management, what other tech is out there that could potentially support this? And what other, what's the lace perspective on this? And what I ended up almost saying over to my over my head again and again and again on those chat GPT points was, yeah, but so what? Like you're giving me the basics, but then it's the next level too. And so I want to bring, I want to bring Charles in, but then just as we were off air just beforehand, Brian, you were talking about the, the generation of workers coming in that almost are having to, me being a slightly older gen now than the, the younger generations, 10, 20 years ago, you go and do your own research to find out that information. Mm. And that's perhaps being taken away from them. But Charles, I don't, I didn't want to cut you out there because uh, I appreciate that. I sort of talked over you there for a second. So I'll bring you back in to give us your perspective. Uh, not at all, Chris. No, I think that's a very interesting point that you made and actually ties in in a way. I was just going to respond to Brian and say that this sense-making, this need for expertise in context, those sort of those elements are really critical. And I think we shouldn't lose sight of that. And I often think that these AI technologies, particularly ChatGPT, it's a little bit like a comparison between a new graduate and someone who's been working in the field for years. And it made me think of Jerome Brunner, the great educational psychologist question, uh, which was, what is the difference between learning physics and being a physicist? And you can replace physics and physicists with anything. And Brunner's answer to the question, when you graduate, when you have all that information in your head, you have that knowledge embedded in your head, you've got your degree or your certificate, whatever it is, it doesn't make you a professional. What makes you a professional is, uh, and Brunner explained it in terms of being inculcated into the culture of the profession. In other words, you understand the nuances, you look at some data and you think that doesn't quite look right. And you maybe can't put your finger on why you know it's not right, but you've seen 10,000 of them before and they haven't looked like this. And so I think Think that's really important to think about how these are brought in. So these AI technologies help us in terms of the effectively the new graduate, we can replace those, we can replace that with technology, but that deep expertise and that ability to make sense of data and to really utilize it. And one other point, and I won't go on, but another point is I think we're also thinking about the difference between innovation and invention. I think these technologies are really going to help innovation, but whether they're going to actually be able to replace human invention, I'm yet to be convinced because innovation and invention are two very different things. You know, we innovate built on what's gone on before and what we see. We invent through something totally new out of the blue. And I think that's going to be a really interesting journey for us as well. But in, I know you want to communicate, David, but just really quickly, Charles, on the innovation piece, I agree, but I'm wondering whether the AI piece can be a tool to help us spend more of our time on being more creative, right? So there's a lot. I mean, obviously I'm going to, health warning, I'm going to you know, be bigging up some of the Microsoft AI solutions. But if you think about it, I absolutely agree. I mean, AI isn't, that's an innate human trait, which is creativity, because to be truly innovative, you need to bring real innate curiosity. And that is a human trait, not a machine trait, as well as if you're curious about other humans, that's empathy. Right. Again, incredibly human trait. So I agree with you on the innovation piece, but it may be that the AI takes some of the drudgery out of some of the tasks that we have to do so that we can spend more time. I mean, this is a theory, right? But we could spend more time on exactly what you're saying around the innovation piece, which is on creativity and is seeded by curiosity. But I know you wanted to talk about the next generation piece, but I can come back to it in a minute, Chris. I know 
David, do you want to come in on this? Yeah, I just want to build on that. We talk in organisations a lot about building critical skills and capabilities for the future. And what I've heard through the chat so far is innovation is clearly incredibly important. Critical thinking, it sounds like, is going to be absolutely imperative for us going forward. Creativity skills. Are there any other sort of major skills or capabilities that you think are important for organisations and for individuals to be successful in this coexistence of an AI and a yeah. real world. I'll start and then please do come in here, Charles, because I've been meaning to call you about this. So this is good. This is real time learning for me. <laughs> we're doing some research at the moment with my team. We're sort of oscillating between meta career capabilities or human capabilities, but basically the sustainable human capabilities that we will all need to really double down on or dial up whatever way you want to put it in the age of AI. So things like learning how to learn, right? So really acting with curiosity and there's frameworks that can support that like seek, send, share. The other one might be change adaptation and really agile sense making. We've talked a little bit about that and there's different uh, approaches that you can develop in order to help with that. And then lastly, collaboration and cooperation. So collaboration is working together towards a common goal. Cooperation is different. Cooperation is knowledge sharing for the purpose of making the collective more intelligent. And so you can see that these are innately human capabilities, which I think chime with some of the things we've been talking about today. And we're getting really curious about how can we identify what are the least these types of human capabilities that we can help our people really get better at and apply practice to, but not just complement the AI, but actually get the best out of the AI. With the agency that it gives us means that we have to have human responsibility and with that responsibility will require the right type of capability. So Charles, I don't know, what would be on your hit list for these types of capabilities to complement the AI? I think that the skills or the capabilities that we need, I've said for years that, you know, the way in which humans learn, it, there are four basic buckets we could put it into through learning through experiences, rich and challenging experiences, through opportunities to practice and reinforce what we do, and through building robust and diverse networks and having rich conversations and through reflective practice. So if you look at it through that lens of how we learn what we need to learn and how does AI help? I think that AI can absolutely help us in terms of providing a lot of the resource and allow us to get to the germ of answers or the germ of solutions very quickly. And then we can overlay our own uh, sense making on top of that to decide how that works. So I certainly see that as really, really powerful. Now, what sort of capabilities does that need to do? And it is around critical thinking. It is around making sure we have the right network, because again, come back to the point I made earlier, everything that HR done in my career, and I've sat on HR management committees in the past, is focused around the individual. It's all based around jobs, based around job roles, job role matrices, skills matrices, competency frameworks, and so on, and based around individuals. We're in a world where I would challenge that very, very few people achieve their outcomes as individuals. We work with others. We work in teams. We work in multiple teams. And so, as I said earlier on, I see the atomic unit in organization as team. And I think that when we put the layer of AI over this and think about how can AI help us as team members or as a group of people in learning and HR? How can it help us? I think we can see it can take away a lot of that repetitive. It can do a lot of the stuff which automation has been doing for years, I guess. But in another way, it sort of really ramps that up and allows us to utilize the power of AI to do a lot of other things, a much more sort of high cognitive level work that we can do. So we need to just be able to step back and think about what are those capabilities we need? And I think the capabilities we're going to need more 
and more comes back to effective decision making, comes comes back to good analytical skills, because we're going to get found out so many times. All of us are going to get found out by the fact that we haven't got the resources or the capability to look at data and say, yes, this is right, or look at information and say, yes, this is right. This is validated here and here and here. And I mean, we've seen this at a political level. We've seen it at a, at a sort of international level for the last few years. And I think we're going to see it all, all the way down through the stack. Building on these points around the skills and critical capabilities, in recent years, and I know Brian and I have done a fair bit of thinking and work in this space, the hot topic in many organisations is how do we create a skills-based organisation? But before we kind of go into that, I'm kind of curious to learn a bit more about what does that actually mean and what are the kind of potential business benefits of that? And perhaps, Brian, if you could give some reflections on what you've seen in the market. But then, Charles, the question for you is, um, is skills sufficient to drive performance? The skills-based approach, I'm I'm an advocate for, for sure. And I think AI actually does have, this is a great use case for AI. And so what I mean by that is, for me, there's sort of three fundamental questions. I try and simplify this stuff around a value chain, around skills. I know, Dave, we we used to work on this value chain when we were at AstraZeneca. So really helping the organization and the individual so we we can think of it at both levels. And I'll include team on that as well, Charles, what around understanding what skills we currently have. Right. And actually, that's a really hard question to answer. I used to dread the day that my CEO would call me up at AstraZeneca and ask, give me a general idea of what skills and capabilities we have, whether it be through the course of an acquisition or, or and so on. Very, very difficult to, to answer that question. So AI is now being used to, to help us get much closer to understanding what skills and capabilities we have in the organization, within the team, and for our own individual benefit. And skills inference is a really interesting dimension to this, where, you know, certainly at Microsoft, we're exploring the opportunity of understanding the workflow and the data points in the workflow to infer from that what capabilities and skills people have and what proficiency levels. So, so you know, skills passports or accurate real-time skills identification is really key and foundation. I think AI is going to help us move this to a whole different level rather than expecting people to once a year to go in and update their skills profile on a, on a HRMS system. And I think that will also then help support navigation and open doors for career destinations as well. So that brings us to the second question, which is what skills do I need or do we need? And again, you know, career marketplace solutions are already using AI to support skills-based career development recommendations and coaching. And then the last question is, how do I bridge the gap? So again, back to the point we were making earlier on around really to bridge skills gaps, particularly to move to mastery. It's experiential and connected learning that really matters. And so talent marketplaces using skills data and AI to personalize recommendations that particularly rank experiences and connections, such as gig opportunities, mentors, volunteering opportunities, but all tagged to the skills and capabilities that to deploy and develop those in service of organizational and individual and team goals is key. So you can see that value chain around those three questions and how AI can and is starting to really help deliver on the promise. But we still got a ways to go. And I, the last thing I'll say on this is that this stuff is only as good as on the development and the talent learning side, building this ecosystem, this value chain around skills intelligence will only work if how we think about how work is done in organizations continues to evolve and matures at the same time. So there's no point building all of this great stuff if we're still, if the business is still sort of trapped in a backward looking approach to very cyclical and very static business planning cycles and or organizing work via predetermined uh, roles with traditional project management approach. So I think 
this is where I think HR leaders have a great opportunity to, as we're, we're starting to deliver against the promise around skills-based approach, around development and talent deployment, that we're also in, in tandem with that, helping the organization become much more agile and adaptive mm-hmm. in how it organizes work. But yeah, Charles, do you want to come in here? Because I know you have a point of view on this and it's maybe you want to challenge some of the things I've been saying. I think I'm actually just going to uh, agree with you, Brian. I think one point you made there, which I see as being critical, is that we need to understand the work that needs to get done. We need to take a, a sort of a work-based approach. And I think that one of the big opportunities for us is clearly focus on skills is really important. And it's better to spend focus on skills rather than spend time and effort defining job role taxonomies and so on. But I think that the key is if we take a work-based approach and we focus on, if you think of it this way, you think of it, do we understand the work that needs to be done? And what are the tasks that are required to do that work well? And in those tasks, what are the critical tasks and so on? And that's where I think AI can really fit in because then we've got to match what capabilities and skills do we need in order to get that work done, to do those tasks. And that's where I see a real opportunity for HR and for learning and development to work there. But unfortunately, still a lot of focus is in terms of, you know, we build a competency framework, we build the skills, and then we hope to match them to the job, to the work. But the work is changing at such a rate, not just in terms of general change, but, you know, through divestments, mergers, acquisitions, and so on in larger organizations, that you never, ever reach an endpoint there. I mean, I've worked on global role frameworks that went for six or eight years and didn't, they were never complete and they were never going to be complete. So I think that is absolutely right. That focus on think about the work, the tasks, where AI can fit in both either to carry out the tasks, to enable the tasks, but also to match the the capabilities and skills needed for the tasks. And I think we've also got to sort of moderate expectations to a certain extent because the right skills might get us part of the way, but we've got to ensure that the culture of our organization and the levels of psychological safety, clarity of process, good leadership, all those things actually have been shown to be far more important in terms of high performance than simply having highly skilled people. I'd go back to Gary Rumler, who wrote back in, I think, 1982. He said, pit a good performer against a bad system and the system will win most every time. And really, I think that in the last 40 years, that has not changed one bit. So if we don't focus on having the work clearly defined, the tasks clearly defined, what needs to be done in order to deliver what's expected in our organization's strategy and plans, we can do busy work in terms of training and getting, making sure people have got the right competencies and all those sorts of things. But actually, it's going to run up again. They're going to run up against a brick wall. So I'm not saying the skills are not important. Of course, they're important. Of course, you need to have a highly skilled workforce. But looking at skills in isolation rather than thinking of it in the work context really makes our lives very, very difficult, I think. Yeah, I knew this was going to happen. We're going to, we've run out of time. I knew I needed more time with you guys. I did such. I should have just started off by saying, "Hi, Chris, HR on the offensive, handing over to much more intelligent people to talk to me, talk to me about AI." Um, so I think we're going to have to get them back on for round two because, yeah, this has been captivating and I think really interesting. Hopefully, it's really interesting to our guests as well. Charles and Brian, thank you very much for joining us today on the HR on the offensive podcast. It's been really, really good chatting to you. Thanks, Chris, David, and Charles. Always great to connect to connect with you. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, looking forward to the next one. Yeah, Definitely. thank you all very much. Thank you all very yeah. much.
It's been absolutely fantastic. You can get this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You can find out all of our back catalogue of podcasts on lacepartners.co.uk forward slash podcast. Hopefully you've enjoyed this. We will definitely get the gentleman back because this is, we've only just scratched at the edges of this, I think, but there's so much more that we need to get through. And hopefully you'll join us for the next time we do that. Other than that, thank you very much as always. David, thank you for joining me as my partner in crime today. Absolute pleasure. Great to meet you guys and thank you for your rich contributions today. It's been absolutely fantastic and we hope to see you next time on the HR on the Offensive Podcast. Thank you. Goodbye.